0: was that this week? So, amen. Smart kids. Amen. Praise the Lord for them. It reminds me of a teacher who was um, teaching Sunday school. She had the first grade Sunday school kids, had a pretty good group of them, and they always go from Sunday school to children's church. They'd never been in church service before, and so this one Sunday they're going to bring all the kids up in the church service just so they get a feel for the church service and and uh, what it's like. and. And so she was going over the whole thing and saying how important this is. And, you know, when the preacher's preaching, you have to pay attention. And and just went over and just over and over and over how, you know, serious this is. And give your attention and no talking. Well, she got him up there and church was going on. And a bunch of her class were sitting on the front row. She was back a little ways with some other of her class. And uh, sure enough, one little boy, Bobby, on the front row was just talking away, looking around, horse around, so she got the one little boy beside him and said, go up there and tell him he's talked enough, he needs to quit right now. And so the little boy got out, came up on the platform, went to the preacher, said, you've talked enough, and uh, you've got to quit and end right now. So... I know many of you have felt that way, and uh, I have made a New Year's resolution, and for whatever that's worth. First Thessalonians chapter 4, notice with me if you would, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I'd like for us to read verse 17 together in unison. If you would, read it with me. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And verse 18 ends, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. I want to speak this morning on the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity we have to assemble together. Lord, I thank you for this good church. And Lord, what just a joy it is to come to church and fellowship and rub shoulders with your people and enjoy one another's company. Lord, we're grateful for the good songs we can sing and the hymns of the faith. And Lord, the, uh, just every part of it, the ministries we have here, we're grateful. I pray now, Lord, as we look into our Bibles, that you would speak to our hearts, dear God. I yield myself to you anew. Lord, I present my body anew again this morning. I ask God with all my heart, I ask that You would fill me with Your Spirit. And you'd speak through me. Lord, I pray we'd be a church, we'd be a people who are ready for the rapture of the church. Ready, prepared and waiting. Blessed now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've noted in some previous messages, as we've begun this new year, If you remember, we pointed out that God has a plan for the future of mankind. The things that happen in our world are not just happenstance, not just chaos, but God has a plan. There is an end in mind. There is something that the history of mankind is pointing towards. Now, of course, evolution is a lie. Evolution says that everything is just chaos, everything is just coincidental, Whatever there is, if there's any design, it was not designed, it just happened. There's no purpose behind events, there's no plan, there's no future to look forward to other than what which chaos and coincidence can produce. Of course, all of history is his story. And God sets up kings and He takes down kings. God raises up nations, and God puts nations down, and uh, God's hand is in it all. And so I don't know about you, but it's reassuring to me to know that God has a plan. God is in control. Nations. What's true for mankind as a whole is true for you and I as individuals. God has a plan for our, our each individual lives doesn't matter what your background may be. It doesn't matter what your uh, personality may be. May not. doesn't matter what your education or your abilities or lack thereof may be. God has a plan and purpose for each and every individual life. I appreciate what Brother Moore said this past week. He said there are no accidents when it comes to life. Man, uh, man and woman may not have planned it. It may be what we call an illegitimate birth. But God is the author of life, and if that... Child, that person, those of us here—we have life. Therefore, we know there is a purpose, there is a plan for our life, and we're rejoicing that. So, we pointed that out in a previous message. Uh, in another recent message, we pointed out that not only does God have a plan and a purpose for the future of mankind, but God—that uh, but we are beginning to see signs. And events taking place that are pointing, that are indicators that certain events that God has planned for the future are not too far away. Now, if you'll remember, we said uh, that... uh, God has not given us the details of the future. There's many things we don't know. And as I said before, I give another warning out. Be very careful about preachers that have every little detail about what the future holds. And man, they know every little thing. Uh, Be very, very careful about that. God has not given us the details. He's given us a general overview of what the future holds. He's a general timeline we go by. All the little details in there and who and how everything works out, when and where it all works out. We don't necessarily know the details of all of that, but we do have an overview. And we said that one of the events that God has declared will happen is that Jesus Christ is going to come back to the earth. It is called in Bible terms, the second advent of Christ. Of course, the first advent would have been what? What, would, what was the first advent of Christ? All right, his first coming met Bethlehem. When he was born of a manger. There is uh, uh, Mary, uh, the woman conceived of the Holy Ghost. That was his first advent. Of course, he was crucified, buried, rose again, ascended on high. His second advent is when he comes back to earth. And God says that there are certain signs. You read the book of Matthew, chapter 24, and other chapters, and you get into Revelation in various places, there are certain signs, certain indicators, that the second advent of Jesus Christ, His return, sometimes it's referred to as the revelation of Jesus Christ, there are certain indicators, signs, that tell us that that event is not too far away. We pointed out in the previous message that we do now, today, see many of those signs, I believe. I think it's pretty obvious in what the Bible gives us, conditions will be when the return of Jesus Christ is, and what our conditions are today, uh, it's pretty obvious we can see those signs taking place. And we already talked about that. Now, this morning, I want to touch on the rapture of the church. Now sometimes we'll say something like this, Jesus could come today. Glad day, glad day. Jesus, when we say that, you need to understand what we mean. Jesus will not return to earth today. We know that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen until the end of the tribulation period. God has made this clear at His second advent when He comes to earth at the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, he judges the nations. He sets up His throne in Jerusalem. He rules for a thousand years. We know when we say and when we sing Jesus could come today, we're not talking about Him returning to the earth today. That's not going to happen. But what we do mean is that when Jesus could come today, what we mean by that is Jesus could come in the clouds and rapture the church up off the earth to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. When we say Jesus could come today, we're talking about the rapture of the church. Very important to understand that. Um, today we notice we're looking at the rapture of church. Now, a lot of people scoff at this idea. Some people will scoff at the very idea of Jesus coming back at all. In fact, I would venture to say, I am very confident in saying, there are churches uh, within just a few miles of where we're sitting right now that would scoff at the idea of a literal return of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, back to earth. They would just laugh at that and consider it uh, nonsense. Um, the people will scoff. Some people will agree that Jesus will come back in some shape or form in one way or another. But the idea of a rapture, a mysterious catching away of all the saved people off the earth, boy, they just laugh at to scorn. And that would just be a joke. That would be a hoot to think that that's going to happen. And you try and suggest it to some theologians and they'll just uh, brush it off. But listen, you can ignore it. You can deny it. You can try and explain it away, but the fact of the matter is, the Bible teaches the rapture of the church. If a person believes God's Word, if we are going to take God's Word, the Bible, for what it says, we cannot escape the fact that the church will be raptured off this earth in so, on some day. Now, I want to look at a few thoughts of this. Number one, first thought, the certainty of the rapture. The certainty of the rapture. The rapture of the church is a certainty. It is going to happen. As I said a few moments ago, we can ignore it, we can deny it, we can scoff at it, yet it will happen. In fact, the Lord said one of the signs, one of the characteristics of the days preceding the second advent of the Lord, one of those signs is going to be scoffers people mocking the idea of a second coming. Peter talks about those who say, uh, where is the coming of the Lord? And they will laugh at that, but nevertheless, it is very clear, the rapture will take place, the catching away of the earth. Now, we pointed out before, many of you understand this, you're familiar with this, that um, uh, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. You can get your Strong's Concordance out. By the way, every Christian should have a Strong's Concordance, either in book form or on uh, uh, digital form on your computer, electronic form. You ought to have a Strong's Concordance. Greatest book ever assembled outside of the Bible. Strong's Concordance. I believe that with all my heart. You You get your Strong's Concordance out, look up the word rapture, guess what? It is not in there. It's not there. Now, we've already pointed this out. Just because the word's not there, that does not mean the teaching isn't there. In fact, if you would, notice with me, verse number 17 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In fact, if you have a pen, I'd suggest you note some things here. Verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be... Next two words, what are they? caught up I circled those two words in my bible caught up in the margin I wrote rapture that is exactly what those two words in fact if you would translate the king james bible or the manuscripts that the king james came from if you would translate that into latin you know what the latin word would be that you would translate them into it would be rapture the latin form of the word rapture that's exactly what they mean to be caught up to be snatched off of something, um, uh, to be caught away, the word "rapture itself is not in the Bible, but the teaching is there. In Titus chapter two, verse 13, it's referred to as the Blessed hope. In First Peter chapter one and verse three, the rapture is referred to as a lively hope. In fact, you can go back into the Old Testament and you can find pictures of the rapture of the church. How many people recognize the name Enoch? Anybody recognize the name Enoch? Enoch is early in the book of Genesis. He's early in the history of mankind. And the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for the Lord What took him. The Lord raptured him. The Lord caught him up off the earth. The Lord snatched him away from the earth. In the life and experience of Enoch, you find a child of God, a man of God, is raptured off the earth. And of course, that's a picture of the coming rapture of the church. And then again, you get to the experience of Elijah. Um, uh, Elijah, the Bible says that a fiery chariot, a chariot of fire, came down and caught uh, up Elijah and took him to heaven. He was raptured off the earth. He was taken up off the earth. A picture of the rapture. I believe, and this would, could be a whole sermon, perhaps a series of sermons, how many folks are familiar with the story, the experience of Lot? How many people are familiar with that? Story of Lot. You know it? Lot lived where? Sodom or Question, was Lot saved or lost? Lot was a saved man. Don't let anybody tell you differently. Lot was a saved man. Peter makes that very clear. Now, if you didn't know, if Peter didn't tell us that, it would be hard to pick that up. But once we know it, we can go back and we see some things in his life that indicate, yes, he genuinely was saved. Then Peter makes it very clear righteous Lot. But Lot, God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, this is just a little aside. I do not believe that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of sodomy. If you go to Ezekiel, you find that they were filled with pride, idleness, and abundance. And those three things produced sodomy. Sodomy, God already gave them up. Uh, Romans tells us, when a nation is overtaken by sodomy, that's an indication He's already given them up. So that was a factor involved. But anyway, that's another issue. But God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God was going to rain down His judgment on those two and three other cities. He was going to judge those cities, but He had a child of God in those cities. There was a saved man in those cities. And God's judgment cannot fall on a saved person. Not judgment for sin. And the judgment seat of Christ, we'll talk about that. But God could not pour out His judgment with a saved man in there. So what happened? God sent two angels and what did they do? Th- did, he, did He come out willingly? No, He hesitated. He liked it there. He is one of the most worldly believers you'll ever find. But He liked the world. He liked Sodomy. Uh, not Sodomy. He liked Sodom. He liked the society. He liked the entertainment. He liked the lifestyles. He liked the, 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 the way of living there. His family just got sucked up into it and they were saturated with it. And the angels said and said, We cannot judge these cities until you are out. And what did Lot do? He hesitated. And the angels literally had to take him by the hand and pull him out of the city. I believe that's a very veiled uh, picture of the rapture. God pulling his people off the earth before He pours out the seven-year judgment of the tribulation on the earth. So, the rapture of the church is a certainty. It's taught clearly in the New Testament. It's pictured in the Old Testament a number of times. I believe in Revelation chapter 4, where God says to John as He's having us, He says, come up hither. I believe that's again as a picture of the rapture of the church. And we see it clearly. Now, we do not know when the rapture is going to take place. Are you with me? Are you glad you came to church today? Amen. Uh, We don't know when the rapture is going to take place. You say, Brother Leatherman, we already see signs of the... We see signs of the revelation. But there are no signs for the rapture. We don't know when it's going to happen. Are you still there in Thessalonians? Let me me point something out to you. Um, uh, Look with me if you would. Chapter 4 and verse 17. Who's the penman? God's the author, but who's the penman here? Apostle Paul is. Notice the wording. Then, what's that next word? We. Who would that we be referring to? Let's read the whole thing. That will help you. Then we which are alive. Who's the penman here? Paul. Is Paul still alive now? No, physically he's not alive now. Uh, so when, when Paul says, we which are alive, um, let's look at it, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. You know what that tells me? Paul was anticipating the rapture in his lifetime. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica, of course, under the inspiration of God. We understand that. But he's writing to them and he says, listen, and the whole point of this passage is don't you worry about your loved ones that, have already, uh, that are asleep, that have died uh, physically. They knew the Lord. Those in Christ, don't you worry about them. Don't sorrow like the unsafe sorrow. Listen, we have some comfort. There's going to be a rapture. And the Lord's going to catch us up. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive, Paul is talking in our lifetime, me, I'm expecting this to happen. We're going to be caught up together with them in the air. Paul was so sure and so certain of the rapture taking place, he believed, he anticipated, he expected it in his lifetime. Now listen, if Paul was that sure of it, you you and I can be certain of the rapture of the church. We can be sure of it. So, my first thought is, the certainty of the church. As I said, we do not know when that will take place. Paul anticipated it in his lifetime. Of course, God has it all laid out. Let me point this out. Jesus is never late. He knows what He's doing. He has a plan. As we pointed out, it's all coming together. We don't need to worry about that. But we don't know when it's going to happen. Jesus stated very clearly, listen, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. We do not know when it's going to happen, but we do know it will happen. Again, notice with me, would, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 here. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 15. This whole passage is talking about the rapture of the church. Look at verse 15. For this we say unto you, by the, what? Word, Word of the Lord. You know what he's saying? Saying Paul's not saying, hey, this isn't just my idea. This isn't some theory I have that I think there's going to be this rapture and I think that all the dead and in... no, no, no. He's saying this is coming as a direct revelation from God. I want to remind you this morning God does not lie. God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He says, This we say, uh, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Come down to verse 16. Two very important words. For the Lord himself shall not might, shall descend from heaven. Look at the last part of verse 16. And the dead in Christ, what? Shall rise first. Look at verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain, what? Shall be caught up together with them in the air. Look at the end of the verse. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then in verse 18, He says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, if this is just a hope so, if this was just fantasy, if this is some theory of some ancient theologian, there wouldn't be much comfort in it, but it is a fact. It shall happen. God's Word says it will happen. Therefore, we can have comfort. That word comfort there means encourage, be strengthened by, wherefore, be comfort one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another. With these words, the words of the rapture, only a certainty could be of any comfort, encouragement, or strength to a person. So I hope you understand the rapture is a certainty. Number two, the rapture of the church is for the saved. is for the saved. Not religious people, but saved people. There is a world of difference between a religious person and a saved person. It is for the saved. The rapture of the church is not simply for church members. There is, no, there is nothing that equates, nothing in Scripture equates church membership with salvation. Now, in a Baptist church, you have to have a testimony of salvation before you can have a church membership. But, it is very easy, very possible, for a person to not genuinely be saved testify to being saved, but not genuinely be saved and become a member of a church. In fact, can I suggest to you that the Sunday following the rapture, there will be many, many tens, perhaps hundreds of thousands of churches around the world where folks will show up Sunday morning for church service, sing their songs, uh, give their offerings, have their quote-unquote sermons, and go on as if nothing ever happened the Sunday after the rapture of the church. I suggest to you there are quote-unquote churches all across this land, all around this world, that are made up completely of unsaved people from the pastorate, the leadership, the priest, whatever you want to call them, all the way down through the membership of the church. None of them born again. All of them trusting in baptism, in sacraments, in works, in their giving, in anything other but the blood of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church will take place and their services and their ministries and their activities will go on as if nothing happened. Can I suggest to you that there will be fundamental independent Baptist churches the Sunday after the rapture where people, members, will show up at church, sit in their place, look around, wonder who's going to preach. Can I suggest to you, it's very possible there will be independent Baptist churches where the preacher shows up the Sunday after church, after the rapture, prepares for his service. Listen, the, fact, the point I'm trying to make here is this. Church membership, religion has nothing to do with genuine biblical salvation. There was a pastor of a church in Indianapolis. He, this took place before I got there, apparently several years before I got there. But he had a pamphlet. It floated around the city in the different uh, fundamental churches floated around the city. And it was his story. He went to Bible college, went to seminary, pastored a number of churches, was pastoring a church in the city there for a period of time, extended period of time, The whole time he was unsaved. The whole time he knew he was unsaved. But he's afraid to deal with it. Afraid to come public with it. And on Saturday night, he got under such conviction of the fact that he was lost. He trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. That next Sunday morning he got up. He says, I have news for the church. I was saved last night. Trusted Christ, born again. Of course, the church was shocked. And they got over that. They rejoiced in the fact he was saved but he wrote a story in a pamphlet and made it available and tried to use that to reach others for Christ. The rapture of the church is for the saved. Now listen, God knows. You and I don't know. And so don't try and figure things out, but wouldn't it be a tragedy? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if the Sunday after the rapture some folks from Mount Lake Independent Baptist Church would show up at church anticipating a service. Wouldn't that be sad? Wouldn't that be tragic? Listen, the Bible says we are to try ourselves, test our faith, see uh, our faith, examine ourselves and make sure we're in the faith. Listen, there ought never to be one doubt entertained in the heart of a church member. It ought to be settled beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've trusted Christ, I've been born in the family of God, and that I know I'm ready for the rapture of Jesus Christ. I'm afraid, even in fundamental independent Baptist churches, no doubt people, members will show up. All the unsaved people will be left behind to face the tribulation. All of them. Not one unsaved person will be raptured off the earth. Only saved. And by the way, all the saved people will be raptured off the earth. Not one left behind. Some churches suggest that if you're not living for God, if you're a carnal Christian, if you're a worldly Christian, you'll be left behind. You'll have to go through the tribulation. And only those who are saved and uh, ready for the rapture, they're the only ones going to be raptured. Hey, you're going to be raptured whether you're ready or not it's going to happen whether you're living for God or not. Don't you get this idea that I'm not right with God and I'm satisfied with not being right with God and when the rapture takes place, I'll have a chance to make things right and I'll have a chance to get clean with God and maybe I'll be left behind and I can settle some things. No, if they're going to be settled, they must be settled before the rapture because every child of God is going to be raptured. God did not let Lot stay in the city... Though He was a worldly, carnal, saved man, He would not allow Him to be left behind. And so the rapture is for the saved. All the unsaved. And my last thought, number three, the rapture will be sudden. The rapture is certain. It's for the saved. The rapture will be sudden. Now I want to reemphasize this. I know we've said this over and over, but there are no signs for the rapture of the church. There are no warnings There are no indicators as to when the rapture is going to take place. As we mentioned a few moments ago, Paul anticipated the rapture in his lifetime. Now, as we go on, it's kind of interesting. I enjoy history, and I've been reading recently a lot of church history and and, uh, brushing up on that. And it's interesting. You get back several hundred years, and the Great preachers and the great theologians of years gone by, many of them did not understand prophecy, and they would have misconceptions of prophecy. And the reason I believe is for this: they could not see how the events that are transpire around the second re- advent of Jesus Christ. They could not see how they could literally take place. And the Bible talks about. Every eye seeing Him. Well, if He's coming back in Jerusalem and people are living in South America and Canada and, and uh, um, Australia and these places, how could they see Him if He's coming to Jerusalem? And so they said these can't be literal st- events. They must be spiritual events. And they could not understand a number of these things taking place, how there could be a 200 million man army invade. There was no populations of that size to make that possible. Therefore, it must be a spiritual thing. It can't be taken literally. And therefore, they misunderstood what future events would hold. Are you with me? But we live in a day and age when every one of these events can happen literally exactly as the Bible says it will happen. We have nearly 7 billion people in the world now. A nation, China, can very easily put together a 200 million man army. Uh, India is probably very close to being able to do that. Any number of nations uh, 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 unite together and put together unbelievable numbers. Uh, Every eye can see them. Good grief, we've got cable TV, we've got satellite TV, we've got internet. You've got phone pictures you can send. Very easily every eye can see Him. And so we're finding, as we're approaching the last days, getting later and later in time, all these events will, uh, can and will happen exactly as the Bible indicates they will. And so we begin to take these things literally, and we begin to understand the overall layout of what's taking place. Now I said all that to say this, but there are no signs for the rapture. That can happen at any moment. Now, my thinking is this. Now, I'm telling you, this is my reasoning. And I'll point that out. If we can see signs of that event already being set up, how close must this event be? Now, we don't know when this event will be. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting an hour or a day. We don't know. It could be hundreds of years before that takes place. It could be. But I can't hardly see how. If everything is in place as it is now... How near must this event be? There are no signs for this event. But it is going to happen suddenly. Now here's where people get confused. Suddenly does not mean soon. If something happens suddenly, it does not necessarily mean it's going to happen soon. As I said, it could be maybe hundreds of years. But when it does happen, whether it is this afternoon or whether it is a hundred years from now, when it does happen, it will be sudden. It is going to be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Look at First Thessalonians chapter five and verse one, the next chapter, what we're looking at. But of the signs and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Paul said, "Listen, we can see this stuff coming back coming together now. This was 2,000 years ago, but look at verse two. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, look at this, so cometh as a thief in the night. Now what does he mean by that? He means it's going to happen unexpectedly. It's going to happen uh, suddenly. Not sitting around waiting for it. Not sitting around, okay, it's coming down. Uh, These guys... Listen, I know, I know you know better than this, but don't fall, ball, buy into this stuff. When these guys set some date and they sell all their houses and their cars and they go set on top of a hill uh, singing "Kumbaya," anticipating the Rapture, of Church, the Return of Church. We know better than that. Amen. There's no, there's no timetable set up here for when the Rapture is going to take place. We don't know when it's going to take place, but brother, when it does, boom, it happens and it's over, and we must be prepared. The rapture will happen quickly. I want to go to one other passage of Scripture, if you would. It's not far away. 1 Corinthians. Chapter number 15. Second last chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Two verses. Verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Page twelve twenty-seven. if you have an old Scofield Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Look at this. Behold! now that's a term in the Bible. God doesn't just put words in there to fill space. That's there for a reason, he's saying, "Hey, give your attention to this. Behold, Hey, look at this. That's what he's saying. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep." That's referring to death. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed." By the way, that's a good verse for the nursery. <laughs> Not all the kids sleep, but they all get changed sooner or later. Of course, sleep there, as I said, refers to death. We shall not all sleep. Not everybody's going to die before the rapture. Some people are going to be alive. But we shall all be changed. We're all going to get that glorified body. Look at verse 52. In a moment. Now, a moment can be any period of time. We say, you guys say to your wife, Oh uh, no, you, you ladies say to your husband, he says, let's go, we got to go. You say, just a moment. So a moment could be an hour and a half period of time, you know, when used in context. But look at what he says here. In a moment. that We would all agree, for the most part, is a brief period of time. But then he he narrows it down. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The amount of time it takes for an eye just to sparkle. In fact... All Bible scholars that take the Bible literally agree that that is a phrase used to indicate an immeasurable period of time. So brief a period of time you cannot measure it. The twinkling of an eye. When the rapture happens, it's going to happen quickly. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised and we shall be changed. We will be caught up and in a moment, in a split, unmeasurable, short period of time, we'll be changed into our glorified bodies and we'll be in the presence of God. It will happen quickly. There will be no time to get saved. I've told you so many times about the lady my wife witnessed to. Right when those Left Behind books came out, I appreciate the fact they turn people think about prophecy and think about Christ, but there is a major flaw in those books, as we pointed it out, that a person can get saved after the rapture. That is a deadly, deadly mistake. And we experienced that firsthand. My wife witnessed to a lady back in Pennsylvania who was reading that book, and my wife went through the Gospel. She said, when I see that rapture take place, then I'm going to get saved. And she could not lead her to the Lord. She had that in her head. Listen to me. When that rapture takes place, those left behind that heard the Gospel will have no opportunity to get saved. And that's another message. But it's going to happen so quickly, out of here. If I'm not right with the Lord, if there's attitudes towards other Christians, if there's sin, something hidden from my family, church family, Friends, some hidden sin. There's not going to be any time to confess and forsake that. It's going to happen. No time to clean house. No time to get right with God. When it happens, it's going to happen. It's going to be over. The Bible says with that in mind, what type of people ought we to be? If that's what we anticipate, if that's what we really believe, then how should we be living our lives? What should our earnestness and our soul winning be? What should our home life be? What should our entertainment life be? How should we be using our finances? How should we be treating one another? How should we be treating God's people, fellow church members? What should our attitudes be? If this is true. You know what the vast majority of Christians believe? The vast majority of Christians in this room here No doubt. Believe that the rapture is going to take place someday. The vast majority of Christians are convinced someday. I mean, I'm talking about us. Someday that rapture is going to happen. Very few. Very few. Anticipate it being today. Everybody thinks someday. Nobody thinks today. And the fact of the matter is, it is just as real a possibility to be today as it is someday. Hell oh, yeah, someday. That's going to happen someday. But we live our lives as if someday's never coming. We treat each other. We'll talk to and about others as if it's never going to happen. As if it's never going to happen. Little boy is in church and he. Heard a sermon along these lines. And his daddy was unsaved. His mom and the little boy went to church together. And his daddy was unsaved. And they came home. And daddy was a businessman. He would travel. And they are eating lunch. And the little boy said, Mama, if the rapture happens today, will daddy be left behind? His mama didn't say anything. And the daddy said, Hush, I want you talking like that. He was leaving Monday. That evening at supper, I guess before they went to church, I guess after they came home from church, they were sitting around. Little boy said, Mama, if that rapture happens, we're going to have to leave Daddy behind, won't we? The Daddy got mad. He said, I don't want to ever hear you say that again. He called up the preacher. He said, listen, I don't know what you're putting in the head of my boy. But whatever it is, you stop it. When you see him, you tell him to quit talking that way. That's nonsense. He took his trip. I think he flew to Texas somewhere, the story goes. Traveled and worked that day. That night he lay in bed. That little boy's voice kept ringing in his ears. If that rapture happens today, Daddy's going to be left behind. If that rapture happens today, Daddy's going to be left behind. Hold the pillow over his head, he'd roll around. If that rapture happens today, Daddy's going to be left behind. At the end of the week, he got home. He came home. He called the preacher up says, Preacher, I need to see you right away. Made appointments. Saturday came in. He said, preacher, I need to be saved. All this week I couldn't sleep a night. All I kept hearing was my boy's voice. If, my, if that rapture happens today, daddy's going to be left behind. Daddy's going to be left behind. He said, I don't want to be left behind. And the preacher led him to the Lord. Now that's what that truth, the effect that truth should have on all of us. I, I remember shortly after I got saved, I got saved early May of 79. And I got such a burden for my sisters. And I remember so distinctly one night I was beside my desk, wasn't by my bed. I pulled my uh, chair out, my desk chair out, up in the attic. And I prayed there so many times. I got my knees and I began. It wasn't a vision or anything like that, but I could see in my mind my sisters dying and burning in hell. And I began to cry. And I was so broken. I said, God, you cannot let my sisters die and go to hell. Now, at that point, I wasn't thinking of the rapture, but that's the same effect the rapture would have the loved one left behind. Are you saved? Is your family saved? Do people see Christ in you? Do you have any type of Christian influence on anybody at all? You know, we tend to think we're we're better than what we really are. We tend to think that we have a far more positive influence than what we really do. What we need to do is humble ourselves before God and confess our pride, confess our worldliness, our carnality, and yield ourselves to the Lord and say, God, take me, forgive me, use me, that I can be prepared for the rapture of the church. Father in heaven, please bless our invitation. I ask their God that we would.